Hello there, and welcome to Down to Sleep. This is my podcast of softly spoken audiobooks and bedtime stories to help you get a good night's rest. Please do leave a positive review, a thumbs up, or five stars on whatever app you're listening on. If you would prefer to listen on YouTube, then head over to youtube.com slash down to sleep. There is also a Patreon where you can support me and the podcast and get two readings every week. Members of the Patreon hear everything first and get to vote on what books I read next and prioritize. So come and join me at patreon.com slash down to sleep. You can find links to those and my Instagram in the info for this episode. Let's go ahead and take a nice deep breath. Let's tuck you in and let's get down to sleep. This is chapter three of The Fellowship of the Ring. Three is company. You ought to go quietly, and you ought to go soon, said Gandalf. Two or three weeks had passed, and still Frodo made no sign of getting ready to go. I know, but it is difficult to do both, he objected. If I just vanish like Bilbo, the tale will be all over the Shire in no time. Of course you mustn't vanish, said Gandalf. That wouldn't do at all. I said soon, not instantly. If you can think of any way of slipping out of the Shire without it being generally known, it'll be worth a little delay. But you must not delay too long. What about the autumn, on or after our birthday? asked Frodo. I think I could probably make arrangements by then. To tell the truth, he was very reluctant to start, now that it had come to the point. Bag End seemed a more desirable residence than it had for years, and he wanted to savour as much as he could of his last summer in the Shire. When autumn came, he knew that part at least of his heart would think more kindly of journeying, as it always did at that season. He had indeed privately made up his mind to leave on his fiftieth birthday, Bilbo's one hundred and twenty-eighth. It seemed somehow the proper day on which to set out and follow him. Following Bilbo was uppermost in his mind and the one thing that made the thought of leaving bearable. He thought as little as possible about the ring, and where it might lead him in the end. But he did not tell all his thoughts to Gandalf. What the wizard guessed was always difficult to tell. He looked at Frodo and smiled. Very well, he said. I think that will do. But it must not be any later. I am getting very anxious. In the meanwhile... Do take care, and don't let out any hint of where you are going, and see that Sam Gamgee does not talk. If he does, I really shall turn him into a toad. As for where I am going, said Frodo, it would be difficult to give that away, for I have no clear idea myself yet. Don't be absurd, said Gandalf. I am not warning you against leaving an address at the post office, but you are leaving the Shire and that should not be known, until you are far away, and you must go, or at least set out either north, south, west, or east, and the direction should certainly not be known. I've been taken up so with the thoughts of leaving Bag End and of saying farewell. I never even considered the direction, said Frodo. Where am I to go, and by what shall I steer? What is to be my quest? Bilbo went to find a treasure, there and back again, but I go to lose one, and not return as far as I can see. But you cannot see very far, said Gandalf. Neither can I. It may be your task to find the cracks of doom, 
but that quest may be for others I do not know. At any rate, you are not ready for that long road yet. No, indeed, said Frodo, but in the meantime what course am I to take? Towards danger. But not too rashly, nor too straight, answered the wizard. If you want my advice, make for Rivendell. That journey should not prove too perilous, though the road is less easy than it was. It will grow worse as the year fails. Rivendell, said Frodo. Very good. I will go east, and I will make for Rivendell. I'll take Sam to visit the elves. He'll be delighted. He spoke lightly, but his heart was moved suddenly with a desire to see the house of Elrond half-elven and breathe the air of that deep valley where many of the fair folk still dwelt in peace. One summer's evening, an astonishing piece of news reached the ivy bush and green dragon. Giants and other portents of the border of the Shire were forgotten for more important matters. Mr. Frodo was selling Bag End. Indeed, he had already sold it to the Saxville Bagginses. For a nice bit too, said some. At a bargain price, said others. And that's more likely when Mistress Lobelia's the buyer. Otho had died some years before, at the ripe but disappointed age of a hundred and two. Just why Mr. Frodo was selling his beautiful hole was even more debatable than the price. A few held the theory, supported by nods and hints of Mr. Baggins himself, that Frodo's money was running out. He was going to leave Hobbiton and live in a quiet way, on the proceeds of the sale, down in Buckland, among his brandy-buck relations. As far from the Sackville Bagginses as may be, some added, but so firmly fixed had the notion of immeasurable wealth for the Bagginses of Bag End become that most found this hard to believe, harder than any other reason or unreason that their fancy could suggest. To most it suggested a dark and yet unrevealed plot by Gandalf. Though he kept himself very quiet and did not go about by day, it was well known that he was hiding in Bag End. But however a removal might fit in with the designs of his wizardry, there was no doubt about the fact. Frodo Baggins was going back to Buckland. "'Yes, I shall be moving this autumn,' he said. "'Mary Brandybuck is looking out for a nice little hole for me, perhaps a small house.' As a matter of fact, with Mary's help, he had already chosen and bought a little house at Crick Hollow, in the country beyond Buckleberry. To all but Sam he pretended that he was going to settle down there permanently. The decision to set out eastwards had suggested the idea to him, for Buckland was on the eastern borders of the Shire, and as he had lived there in childhood, his going back would at least seem credible. Gandalf stayed in the Shire for over two months. Then one evening, at the end of June, soon after Frodo's plan had finally been arranged, he suddenly announced that he was going off again the next morning. "'Only for a short while, I hope,' he said. "'But I am going beyond the southern borders to get some news, if I can. I've been idle longer than I should.' He spoke lightly, but it seemed to Frodo that he looked rather worried. "'Has anything happened?' he asked. "'Well, no, but I have heard something that has made me anxious and needs looking into. "'If I think it necessary, after all, for you to get off at once, I shall come back immediately, or at least send word. "'In the meanwhile, stick to your plan. Be more careful than ever, especially 
of the ring. Let me impress on you once more. Don't use it. He went off at dawn. I may be back any day, he said. At the very latest, I shall come back for the farewell party. I think, after all, you may need my company on the road. At first, Frodo was a good deal disturbed and wondered often what Gandalf could have heard. But his uneasiness wore off, and in the fine weather, he forgot his troubles for a while. The Shire had seldom seen so fair a summer, or so rich an autumn. The trees were laden with apples. Honey was dripping in the combs. The corn was tall and full. Autumn was well underway before Frodo began to worry about Gandalf again. September was passing, there was still no news of him. The birthday and the removal drew nearer, and still he did not come or send word. Bag End began to be busy. Some of Frodo's friends came to stay and help him with the packing. There was Fredegar Bolger and Falco Boffin, and of course his special friends, Pippin Took and Merry Brandybuck. Between them, they turned the whole place upside down. On September 20th, two covered carts went off laden to Buckland, conveying the furniture and goods that Frodo had not sold to his new home, by way of the Brandywine Bridge. The next day, Frodo became really anxious, and kept a constant lookout for Gandalf. Thursday, his birthday morning, dawned as fair and clear as it had long ago for Bilbo's great party. Still, Gandalf did not appear. In the evening, Frodo gave his farewell feast. It was quite small, just a dinner for himself and his four helpers. But he was troubled and felt in no mood for it. The thought that he would so soon have to part with his young friends weighed on his heart. He wondered how he would break it to them. The four younger hobbits were, however, in high spirits. The party soon became very cheerful in spite of Gandalf's absence. The dining room was bare, except for a table and chairs, but the food was good, and there was good wine. Frodo's wine had not been included in the sale to the Sackville Bagginses. Whatever happens to the rest of my stuff when the SBs get their claws on it? At any rate, I have found a good home for this, said Frodo, as he drained his glass. It was the last drop of old Winyards. When they had sung many songs and talked of many things that they had done together, they toasted Bilbo's birthday, and they drank his health and Frodo's together, according to Frodo's custom. Then they went out for a sniff of air and a glimpse of the stars, and then they went to bed. Frodo's party was over, and Gandalf had not come. The next morning they were busy packing another cart with the remainder of the luggage. Merry took charge of this and drove off with Fatty, that is, Fredegar Bolger. "'Someone must get there and warm the house before you arrive,' said Merry. "'Well, see you later, the day after tomorrow, if you don't go to sleep on the way.' Folko went home after lunch, but Pippin remained behind. Frodo was restless and anxious, listening in vain for a sound of Gandalf. He decided to wait until nightfall. After that, if Gandalf wanted him urgently, he would go to Crickhollow, might even get there first for Frodo was going on foot. His plan, for pleasure and a last look at the Shire as much as any other reason, was to walk from Hobbiton to Buckleberry Ferry, 
taking it fairly easy. I shall get myself in a bit of training, too, he said, looking at himself in a dusty mirror. He had not done any strenuous walking for a long time. The reflection looked rather flabby, he thought. After lunch, the Sackville Bagginses, Lobelia and her sandy-haired son Lotho turned up, much to Frodo's annoyance. "'Ours at last,' said Lobelia, as she stepped inside. It was not polite, nor strictly true, for the sale of Bag End did not take effect until midnight. But Lobelia can perhaps be forgiven. She had been obliged to wait about seventy-seven years longer for Bag End than she hoped, and she was now a hundred years old. Anyway, she had come to see that nothing she had paid for had been carried off, and she wanted the keys. It took a long while to satisfy her, as she had brought a complete inventory with her, and she went right through it. In the end, she departed with Lotho and the spare key, and the promise that the other keys would be left at the Gamgees in Bagshot Row. She snorted, and showed plainly that she thought the Gamgees were capable of plundering the hole during the night. Frodo did not offer her any tea. He took his own tea with Pippin and Sam in the kitchen. It had been officially announced that Sam was coming to Buckland to do for Mr. Frodo and look after his bit of garden, an arrangement that was approved by the gaffer, though it did not console him for the prospect of having Lobelia as a neighbour. "'Our last meal at Bag End,' said Frodo, pushing back his chair. They left the washing up for Lobelia. Pippin and Sam strapped up their packs and piled them in the porch. Pippin went out for a last stroll in the garden. Sam disappeared. The sun went down. Bag End seemed sad and gloomy and dishevelled. Frodo wandered round the familiar rooms and saw the light of the sunset fade on the walls. Shadows creep out of the corners. It grew slowly dark indoors. He went out and walked down to the gate at the bottom of the path and on a short way down the hill road. He half expected to see Gandalf come striding up through the dusk. The sky was clear and the stars were growing bright. It's going to be a fine night, he said aloud. That's good for a beginning. I feel like walking. I can't bear any more hanging about. I'm going to start and Gandalf must follow me. He turned to go back and then stopped. He heard voices, just round the corner by the end of Bagshot Row. One voice was certainly the old gaffer's. The other was strange and somehow unpleasant. He could not make out what it was said, but he heard the gaffer's answers, which were rather shrill. The old man seemed put out. No, Mr. Baggins has gone away. Went this morning and my Sam went with him. All this stuff went, yep, sold and gone. Why? Why is none of my business or yours? Where to? That ain't no secret. He's moved to Buckleberry, or some such place. Away down yonder. Yes, it is a tidy way. I've never been so far myself. They're queer folk in Buckland. No, I can't give no message. Good night to you. Footsteps went away down the hill. Frodo wondered vaguely why the fact that they did not come up the hill seemed a great relief. I'm sick of questions and curiosity about my doings, I suppose, he thought. What an inquisitive lot they all are. 
He had half a mind to go and ask the gaffer who the inquirer was, but he thought better or worse of it, and turned and walked quickly back to Bag End. Pippin was sitting on his pack in the porch. Sam was not there. Frodo stepped inside the dark door. Sam, he called. Sam, time. Come in, sir, came the answer from far within, followed soon by Sam himself wiping his mouth. He had been saying farewell to the beer barrel in the cellar. All aboard, Sam, said Frodo. Yes, sir. I'll last for a bit now, sir. Frodo shut and locked the round door and gave the key to Sam. Run down with this to your house, Sam. Cut along the row and meet us as quick as you can at the gate of the lane. We're not going through the village tonight. Too many ears pricking and eyes prying. Sam ran off at full speed. Well, now we're off at last, said Frodo. They shouldered their packs and took up their sticks and walked around the corner to the west side of Bag End. Goodbye, said Frodo, looking at dark, blank windows. He waved his hand and turned, and, following Bilbo, if he had known it, hurried after Peregrine down the garden path. They jumped over the low place in the hedge at the bottom and took to the fields, passing into the darkness like a rustle in the grasses. At the bottom of the hill, on its western side, they came to the gate opening onto a narrow lane. There they halted and adjusted the straps of their packs. Presently Sam appeared, trotting quickly and breathing hard. His heavy pack was hoisted high on his shoulders, and he had put on his head a tall and shapeless felt bag which he called a hat. In the gloom he looked very much like a dwarf. I'm sure you've given me all the heaviest stuff, said Frodo. I pity snails and all that carry their homes on their backs. Oh, I could take a lot more, sir, yet my packet is quite light, said Sam, stoutly and untruthfully. No, you don't, Sam, said Pippin. It's good for him. He's got nothing except what he ordered us to pack. He's been slack lately, and he'll feel the weight less when he's walked off some of his own. Be kind to a poor old hobbit, laughed Frodo. I shall be as thin as a willow wand, I'm sure, before I get to Buckland. But I was talking nonsense. I suspect you've taken more than your share, Sam. I shall look into it at our next packing. He picked up his stick again. Well, we all like walking in the dark, he said. So let's put some miles behind us before bed. For a short way, they followed the lane westwards. Leaving it, they turned left and took quietly to the fields again. They went in single file along hedgerows and the borders of copses, and night fell dark about them. In their dark cloaks they were as invisible as if they all had magic rings. Since they were all hobbits and were trying to be silent, they made no noise that even hobbits would hear. Even the wild things in the fields and woods hardly noticed their passing. After some time they crossed the water west of Hobbiton, by a narrow plank bridge. The stream was there no more than a winding black ribbon, bordered with leaning alder trees. A mile or two further south, they hastily crossed the great road from the Brandywine Bridge. They were now in the Tookland, and bending southeastwards, they made for Green Hill country. As they began to climb its first slopes, 
they looked back and saw the lamps in Hobbiton far off, twinkling in the gentle valley of the water. Soon it disappeared in the folds of the darkened land, and was followed by Bywater beside its grey pool. When the light of the last farm was far behind, peeping among the trees, Frodo turned and waved a hand in farewell. I wonder if I shall ever look down into that valley again, he said quietly. When they had walked for about three hours, they rested. The night was clear, cool, and starry, but smoke-like wisps of mist were creeping up the hillsides from the streams and deep meadows. Thin-clad birches, swaying in a light wind above their heads, made a black net against the pale sky. They ate a very frugal supper for hobbits, and then went on again. Soon they struck a narrow road that went rolling up and down, fading grey into darkness ahead. The road to Woodhall and Stock and Buckleberry Ferry. It climbed away from the main road in the water valley and wound over the skirts of the green hills towards Woody End, a wild corner of East Farthing. After a while, they plunged into a deeply cloven track between tall trees that rustled their dry leaves in the night. It was very dark. At first they talked or hummed a tune softly together, being now far away from inquisitive ears. Then they marched in silence, and Pippin began to lag behind. At last, as they began to climb a steep slope, he stopped and yawned. "'I am so sleepy,' he said. "'Soon I shall fall down on the road. Are you going to sleep on your legs? It's nearly midnight.' I thought you liked walking in the dark, said Frodo. But there's no great hurry. Mary expects us some time the day after tomorrow, but that leaves us nearly two days more. We'll halt at the first likely spot. The wind's in the west, said Sam. If we get to the other side down this hill, we shall find a spot that is sheltered and snug enough, sir. There is a dry furrowwood just ahead, if I remember rightly. Sam knew the land well within twenty miles of Hobbiton but that was the limit of his geography. Just over the top of the hill, they came on a patch of firwood. Leaving the road, they went into the deep, resin-scented darkness of the trees, and gathered dead sticks and cones to make a fire. Soon they had a merry crackle of flame at the foot of a large fir tree. They sat round it for a while, until they began to nod. Each in an angle of the great tree's roots they curled up in their cloaks and blankets, and was soon fast asleep. They set no watch. Even Frodo feared no danger yet, for they were still in the heart of the Shire. A few creatures came and looked at them when the fire had died away. A fox passing through the wood on business of his own stopped several minutes and sniffed. Hobbits, he thought. Well, what next? I've heard of strange doings in this land, but I've seldom heard of a hobbit sleeping out of doors under a tree three of them. There's something mighty queer behind this. He was quite right, but he never found out any more about it. The morning came, pale and clammy. Frodo woke up first and found a tree root had made a hole in his back, and that his neck was stiff. Walking for pleasure. Why didn't I drive, he thought, as he usually did at the beginning of an expedition. All my beautiful feather beds are sold to the Sackville Bagginses, these tree roots would do them good. He stretched. Wake up, hobbits, he cried. It's a beautiful morning. 
What's beautiful about it, said Pippin, peering over the edge of his blanket with one eye. Sam, get breakfast ready for half-past nine. Have you got the bath-water hot? Sam jumped up, looking rather bleary. No, sir, I haven't, sir, he said. Frodo stripped the blankets from Pippin and rolled him over and walked off to the edge of the wood. Away eastward, the sun was rising red out of the mists that lay thick on the world. Touched with gold and red, the autumn trees seemed to be sailing rootless in a shadowy sea. A little below him to the left, the road ran down steeply into a hollow and disappeared. When he returned, Sam and Pippin had got a good fire going. "'Water!' shouted Pippin. "'Where's the water?' "'I don't keep water in my pocket,' said Frodo. "'We thought you'd gone to find some,' said Pippin, busy setting out food and cups. "'You'd better go now.' "'You can come too,' said Frodo, "'and bring all the water bottles.' There was a stream at the foot of the hill. They filled their bottles and the small camping kettle at the little fall, where the water fell a few feet over an outcrop of grey stone. It was icy cold. They spluttered and puffed as they bathed their faces and hands. When their breakfast was over and their packs were trussed up again, it was after ten o'clock, and the day was beginning to turn fine and hot. They went down the slope, across the stream where it dived under the road, and up the next slope, and up and down another shoulder of hills, and by that time their cloaks, blankets, water, food, and other gear already seemed to be a heavy burden. The day's march promised to be warm and tiring work. After some miles, however, the road ceased to roll up and down. It climbed to the top of a steep bank in a weary, zigzagging sort of way and then prepared to go down for the last time. In front of them, they saw the lower lands dotted with small clumps of trees that melted away in the distance to a brown woodland haze. They were looking across the woody end towards the Brandywine River. The road wound away before them like a piece of string. "'The road goes on forever,' said Pippin. "'But I can't without a rest. It's high time for lunch.' He sat down at the bank at the side of the road and looked away east into the haze, beyond which lay the river and the end of the shire in which he had spent all his life. Sam stood by him. His round eyes were wide open, for he was looking across lands that he had never seen to a new horizon. "'Do elves live in those woods?' he asked. "'Not that I've heard,' said Pippin. Frodo was silent, too. He, too, was gazing eastward along the road as if he had never seen it before. Suddenly he spoke, aloud, but as if to himself, saying slowly, The road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began. Now far ahead the road has gone, and I must follow if I can, pursuing it with weary feet until it joins some larger way where many paths and errands meet, and whither then, I cannot say. That sounds like a bit of old Bilbo's rhyming, said Pippin, or is it one of your imitations? Doesn't sound altogether encouraging. I don't know, said Frodo. It came to me then, as if I was making it up, but I may have heard it long ago. Certainly it reminds me very much of Bilbo in the last years before he went away. He used often to say there was only one road, that it was like a great river, 
its springs were at every doorstep, and every path was its tributary. It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door, he used to say. You step into the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there is no knowing where you might be swept off to. Do you realise that this is the very path that goes through Mirkwood, and that if you let it, it might take you to the Lonely Mountain, or even further, and to worse places? He used to say that on the path outside the front door at Bag End, especially after he'd been out for a long walk. Well, the road won't sweep me anywhere for an hour at least, said Pippin, unslinging his pack. The others followed his example, putting their packs against the bank and their legs out into the road. After a rest, they had a good lunch, and then more rest. The sun was beginning to get low, and the light of afternoon was on the land as they went down the hill. So far, they had not met a soul on the road. This way was not much used, being hardly fit for carts, and there was little traffic to Woody End. They had been jogging along again for an hour or more when Sam stopped for a moment as if listening. They were now on level ground, and the road, after much winding, lay straight ahead, through grassland sprinkled with tall trees, outliers of the approaching woods. I can hear a pony, or a horse, coming along the road behind, said Sam. They looked back, but the turn of the road prevented them from seeing far. I wonder if that's Gandalf coming after us, said Frodo. But even as he said it, he had a feeling that it was not so, and a sudden desire to hide from the view of the rider came over him. It may not matter much, he said apologetically, but I would rather not be seen on the road by anyone. I am sick of my doings being noticed and discussed, and if it is Gandalf, we can give him a little surprise, to pay him out for being so late. Let's get out of sight. The other two ran quickly to the left and down into a little hollow not far from the road. There they lay flat. Frodo hesitated for a second. Curiosity or some other feeling was struggling with his desire to hide. The sound of hoofs drew nearer. Just in time he threw himself down in a patch of long grass behind a tree that overshadowed the road. He lifted his head and peered cautiously above one of the great roots. Round the corner came a black horse, no hobbit pony but a full-sized horse, and on it sat a large man who seemed to crouch in the saddle, wrapped in a great black cloak and hood, only his boots in the high stirrups showed below. His face was shadowed and invisible. When it reached the tree and was level with Frodo, the horse stopped. The riding figure sat quite still with its head bowed as if listening. From inside the hood came a noise as of someone sniffing to catch an elusive scent. The head turned from side to side of the road. A sudden unreasoning fear of discovery laid hold of Frodo. He thought of his ring. He hardly dared to breathe, and yet the desire to get it out of his pocket became so strong that he began slowly to move his hand. He felt that he had only to slip it on, and he would be safe. The advice of Gandalf seemed absurd. Bilbo had used the ring, and I am still in the Shire, he thought. As his hand touched the chain on which it hung, at that moment the rider sat up and shook the reins. The horse stepped forward. 
walking slowly at first and then breaking into a quick trot. Frodo crawled to the edge of the road and watched the rider until he dwindled into the distance. He could not be quite sure, but it seemed to him that suddenly, before it passed out of sight, the horse turned aside and went into the trees on the right. Well, I call that very queer and indeed disturbing, said Frodo to himself as he walked back towards his companions. Pippin and Sam had remained flat in the grass and seen nothing, so Frodo described the rider and his strange behaviour. I can't say why, but I felt certain he was looking or smelling for me, and also I felt certain that I did not want him to discover me. I've never seen or felt anything like it in the Shire before. But what has one of the big people got to do with us? said Pippin. What's he doing in this part of the world? There are some men about, said Frodo, down in the South Farthing, and they've had trouble with big people, I believe. I've never heard of anything like this rider. I wonder where he comes from. Begging your pardon, put in Sam suddenly, I know where he comes from. It's from Hobbiton. That this here black rider comes, unless there's more than one, and I know where he's going to. What do you mean, said Frodo sharply, looking at him in astonishment. Why didn't you speak up before? I have only just remembered, sir. It was like this. When I got back to our hole yesterday, with McKee, my dad says to me, Hello, Sam, he says, I thought you were away with Mr. Frodo this morning. There's been a strange customer asking for Mr. Baggins of Bag End. He's only just gone. I've sent him on to Bucklebury. Not that I like the sound of him. He seemed mighty put out when I told him that Mr. Baggins had left his old home for good. Hissed at me, he did. It gave me quite a shudder. What sort of fellow was he, says I to the gaffer. I don't know, says he, but he wasn't a hobbit. He was tall and black-like, and he stooped over me. I reckon it was one of the big folk from foreign parts. He spoke funny. I couldn't stay to hear more, sir, since you were waiting, and I didn't give much heed to it myself. The gaffer is getting old and more than a bit blind. And it must have been near dark when this fellow come up the hill and found him taking the air at the end of our row. I hope he hasn't done no harm, sir. The gaffer can't be blamed, said Frodo. As a matter of fact, I heard him talking to a stranger who seemed to be inquiring for me. I nearly went and asked him who it was, and I wish I had, or you had told me about it before. I might have been more careful on the road. Still, there may be no connection between this rider and the gaffer's stranger, said Pippin. We left Hobbiton secretly enough, and I don't see how he could have followed us. What about the smelling, sir? And the gaffer said he was a black chap. I wish I'd waited for Gandalf, Frodo muttered. Perhaps it would have only made matters worse. Then you know or guess something about this rider, said Pippin, who had caught the muttered words. I don't know, and I would rather not guess, said Frodo. All right, cousin Frodo, you can keep your secrets for the present, if you want to be mysterious. In the meanwhile, what are we to do? I should like a bite and sup, but somehow I think we'd better move on from here. Your talk of sniffing riders with invisible noses has unsettled me. Yes, I think we will move on now, said Frodo, but not on the road, in case that rider comes back or another follows him. We ought to do a good step more today. Buckland is still miles away. And that is where we close the book tonight on this episode of Down to Sleep. 